Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan and thank you for joining us today. We are going to be entering week four of our study of Roman Catholicism and today we're going to be going through salvation and sin, how to properly understand this. So the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to first talk about the Christian stance of what sin is, how we identify sin, how we deal with it, and then I'm going to show you the Catholic side of how they define sin and what they do with it. And then secondly, I'm going to show the biblical way of salvation that Christianity stands and affirms. And then I'll show you the Catholic side as well as from their catechism what they believe in that way as well. And so most of this is going to be strictly from the Bible, which as it should be, because it is the ultimate authority of all things, we should refer to that for the truth. So without further delay, let's begin. So how should a Christian understand sin? First of all, we need to find out what the Bible says about sin, and we need to give it a proper definition. So the Bible declares that sin is lawlessness, and this can be found in 1 John chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, feel free to keep up with me if you can, or if you need to pause the recording so you can reference these things, I highly recommend it, or at least just to jot down these scriptures to look at a different time. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 4 through verse 10. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You can't get any clearer than that. John is saying right here that if you want to know what sin is, sin is lawlessness. The Bible also explains how to identify it in ourselves and in others. So let's look at these scriptures as well. Galatians chapter 5. Verses 19 through 21. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things 
will not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastfuls, Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. I think that paints the picture of our landscape right now, does it not? And this is what makes sin so evident. There is a striking contrast between goodness and evil. It's kind of hard not to see it. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Sin is lawlessness, and the signs are clear if they are in sin. So we know what sin is now, and the signs of what it looks like. 
But is it something that we can stop in our own power? No, it is in our very nature to be this way. And without God's intervention, everyone listening to this would all be in the same situation. We were saved by the grace of God. And let's, where does it say that? Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, and then we'll look at verse 23. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And then verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we know what sin is. We can see it in ourselves and others. And it's a part of our very nature. And it's something that is inescapable in our physical ability. Not only that, but because of this fallen nature, our natural inclination is to get worse and worse. Daniel chapter 5. Verses 18 through 23. O King, the Most High God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whom he wished, he killed, and whomever he wished, he spared alive, and whomever he wished, he elevated and whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was also driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like that of beasts, and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways, you have not glorified. So, we are, by nature, designed to see the Lord and reject Him. Our sin nature will defy Him always, and we will just get progressively worse. But we have a God who is holy and who is perfect, which means that He does not tolerate sin, nor is He even capable of it. So because He is incapable of sin and He cannot tolerate sin, through his justice and his holiness, sin is a punishable, serious offense. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. Behold, 
all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul who sins will die. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, if sin is lawlessness, then there is a law that we're supposed to follow. God has decreed hundreds of times in the Bible, through commandments, what to do and what not to do, with the expectation that we are to do those things and attempt to be perfect like Him. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Since we are not perfect like God, and sin is in our very nature, then we are not capable of keeping his law. Judgment would be pronounced over us, which is eternal death and separation from God in a place called hell. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is the Christian stance on sin, and this is what the Bible teaches about sin. We haven't gotten to the point of salvation yet, but this is sin right here. Do we share the same viewpoint of sin with Catholics? The Catholic Church says this about sin. Now, first of all, on the surface, Catholics may seem to believe in the same concepts of how devastating sin is to our spiritual destination. However, the more that you look at the doctrines that the Church enforces, you'll see how little they truly understand the nature of sin. The Catholic Church separates sin into two groups, into venial, which are minor sins, and mortal sins, which are the major ones. Now, these distinctions are nowhere listed in the Bible. There are sins that are worse than others. However, God handles all sins with the same eternal punishment through his justice. For example, if you look at the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, The Lord is slow to anger 
and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. In whirlwind and storm is his way, and clouds are the dust beneath his feet. So in their catechism, mortal sins are defined like this. For a sin to be mortal, three conditions must together be met. Sin whose object is grave matter requires full knowledge and complete consent. And you can get this from paragraphs 1857 through 1859. Now, venial sins weaken charity. It does not break the covenant with God. With God's grace, it is humanly reparable. What then is our hope? Above all, confession. And this is from paragraphs 1863 and 1864 of the Catechism. So if we take the Catholic doctrine literally as they intended to be, then they are saying that salvation is lost when committing a mortal sin and must be regained. And yet venial sins, while they are damaging, will not cause a loss of salvation. This completely contradicts multiple teachings of the Bible. It's just like we talked about last time from the book of James, chapter 2, verse 10. He says, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. So there is no distinction between sin. Sin is sin, and God hates it. So if God hates sin, and we are, by nature, sinful beings, what hope do we have? We require a Savior. We require someone who is above us to come and save us. And that's Jesus Christ. So how can a Christian receive salvation? What does the Bible say about receiving salvation as a Christian? 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So we saw that God is righteous and just, no doubt, but he is also a God of love. And because God loves us, he knew that we needed a Savior from the very beginning to free us from our sin and judgment. Before the creation of all things, his plan was to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to be our Redeemer. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Galatians 4.4 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, 
God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Bible is very clear that Jesus is the only way to be forgiven from sin and allowed direct access to God and eternal life. And there are a few places that we can reference this. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. John 14, 6 Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 8.1 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The sad thing is, by nature, we cannot love, nor will we choose to seek Jesus. So, by his grace, God has predestined certain individuals to be transformed by the Holy Spirit to allow Jesus to be attractive to us. And this is what the church teaches as doctrines of election and regeneration. Now, where can we find those in the Bible? John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So we see that through regeneration and our cooperation with the Holy Spirit through faith, we receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14. 
when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So it's nothing we did, right? We see that very clearly. God acted first, and he alone causes salvation. There is no way for us to save ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Jesus Christ was sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. This was one act that bore the burden of all sins of all time, past, present, and future. And this is never to be repeated. His death was sufficient and will be sufficient forever. Again, we reference Romans 8.1. For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We also have 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Through this salvation, we are forgiven of all sins. This salvation is secured, cannot be lost, and it cannot be taken from us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. We are sealed. Sealed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think the Bible is very clear on that too, but how do Catholics receive salvation? The Catholic Church declares that a person must be saved by this way. They must believe in Jesus and be free from original sin through baptism and receive the Eucharist and perform all the sacraments and do good works and not die without mortal sins being forgiven. And you have to be a Catholic. And you have to observe all the laws and traditions of the church. And you have to obey the Pope as the vicar of Christ. Do you see what the problem is here? True Christianity teaches that God did it all on our behalf. He created us. He elected us into his spiritual baptism through the Holy Spirit. He sent his son to die for our sins. He first loved us. Christ intercedes for us to the Father. However, Catholicism is much like other world religions in that we have to perform certain merits or acts to earn salvation. Religion means nothing 
without a relationship with the true God of the Bible. Even more, Catholics have all the same Old and New Testament books that we do, not counting the extra stuff. The absolute truth is available to them, but they have been greatly deceived. So what are the Catholic doctrines of salvation? Let me read from you from their catechism. Paragraph 1320. Why is the virtue of penance necessary? The virtue of penance is necessary for a sinner to be reconciled with God. There is no such thing as penance. Paragraph 1368. Why is personal, specific confession necessary? Personal, specific confession, called auricular confession, is necessary because this was taught by Christ. He gave his apostles and their successors the power to forgive sins, but also to not forgive them, implying that the faithful had to tell their sins in order for the priest to judge whether they should be absolved. How can we make satisfaction for our sins? Paragraph 1392. We make satisfaction for our sins by every good act that we perform in the state of grace, but especially in prayer, penance, and the practice of charity. Maxi, forgiven by works, not by the will of God. Is the Eucharist necessary for salvation? Paragraph 1217. The Eucharist is necessary for salvation to be received either sacramentally or in desire. Holy communion is necessary to sustain the life of grace in a person who has reached the age of reason. Is baptism necessary for salvation? This is in Vatican II, Canon 849. Baptism, the gateway to the sacraments, is necessary for salvation, either by actual reception or at least by desire. By it, people are freed from sins, are born again as children of God, and made like to Christ by an indelible character, are incorporated into the church. It is validly conferred only by washing in real water with the proper form of words. That doesn't look like anything we talked about in the Bible, doesn't it? Are the sacraments necessary for salvation? Paragraph 1119. According to the way God has willed that we be saved, the sacraments are necessary for salvation. Hmm. Okay. Is faith in what God revealed sufficient for salvation? Paragraph 492. No. We must also keep his commandments. As Christ himself told us, if you wish to enter into life, Keep the commandments. God's revealing of salvation is not sufficient. That there are some things that are unwritten and left up to interpretation. That's, that does not agree with what the Bible says. How do we keep the commandments of God? Paragraph 493. We keep the commandments of God by living a good moral life but yet we're not good. There's no one who does good, not even one, right? Hmm. Is the church necessary for salvation? 
4.12 Yes, the church is necessary for salvation. Christ himself declared that no one can be saved except through faith and baptism. Mark 16.16 Okay. Last one. What if I don't believe in Catholic practices in salvation? This is in the Council of Trent, Session 7, Canon 4. If anyone saith that the sacraments of the new law are not necessary unto salvation, but superfluous, and that without them, or without the desire thereof, men obtain of God, through faith alone, the grace of justification, let him be anathema. Do you see the distinction here? There's something very different between what Catholics believe and what Christians believe. This is not the same faith, ladies and gentlemen. There is something very different and very wrong with what is being taught in the Catholic Church. We are saved by the grace of God. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no way to resist it. God chooses well beforehand whom he's going to save. And he will cause these people to be saved. And he will not return until everyone he has deemed to be saved will be saved. This is not what the Catholics teach. So I hope that with the scripture that we use today, you have some ammunition for any arguments or a way to defend yourself in an apologetics fashion when confronted by someone. Cling to the Word of God. The Word of God is going to be the only way that you can combat this stuff. That's why it's called the sword of the Spirit. This is your weapon in your tools of war. When we are under attack, we cling to the Word of God for salvation and for mercy. I pray that you use this, and I pray this was, that this is helpful to you. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.